What is going on? <laughs> Can you hear me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, through my computer. I'm recording it too. It's awesome. Oh no. Okay, sorry. I'm having to use the same USB port because I'm out of USB ports for my printer and my mic. So nice. I unplugged myself for a second, and now I'm replugged. Nicey. You like comments? Yeah, definitely. I, I like, like comments. Um, what's the etiquette with podcasts? Do you say people's last names without their permission? Just give their first. They'll know who they are. All right. We have we have Mark. Okay. Mark H. Mm-hmm. You know who you are, Mark. He says, at Wade Griffith. This is on the Twitter, by the way. Okay. He says, at Wade Griffith, loving the latest photography show with you and at Ted Forbes. What is the wet plate style app you mentioned? It is from Hipstamatic, which is an app I love to take pictures with. And it's the tintype um, um, lens that you can put on. on it. The Hipstamatic app is, looks like a little camera. So you can switch out the lenses. You can switch out the film. You can switch out the flashes, all this stuff to get different looks. And they come in little packs where you get a lens and a film and a, and a flash and all these things. But um, you put the little tintype um, yeah, it's cool. I've tried lens, lens on there, and that's the that's the the one I've been taking these old tin type looking photos with. But the app is Hipstamatic. Yeah, you got me hooked with that. I I think uh, it's so cool looking. I think Hipstamatic. I don't remember if it's free, but it's it's like a dollar. I mean, it's cheap. No, it's it's a cheap. What they keep on getting you with is every time they come out with a new little pack of lenses. Yeah, the in app purchases nine cents. So they they're smart. Yeah, they get you hooked with the cheap camera app, <laughs> like like all of these do, like Angry Birds does. Yeah, or then, anything. It's like purchases. It's 99 cents but if you'd like the next level it's another 99 cents <laughs> we just made two million dollars it's just smart marketing and yeah but whatever so of course i buy the next i'm like well what's 99 cents i spend that all the time so i buy the next one i've probably bought like 30 different packets now of lenses and flashes and stuff for my hipstamatic but you know those 99 cents is at i don't want to know what i've spent on my full phone i mean it's like I think it would depress me. It would, but it would, but yeah. If we could ever come up with something like that, where it's just ninety nine cents after ninety nine cents times ten million people. Yeah. Hey, Chat, here's I, here's here's this is kind of a shout out. Uh, this dude who lives in Australia. Um, I know him via YouTube, and he's been a long time dude on photography shows. His name's Calvin. He's a good guy. Hmm. He did the blur book. Uh huh. Oh, cool. His, for his new portfolio. Book. Yep. And he uh, sent me a little link to it. He's got a video. In fact. I'll ask him if it's cool. I'll put this in the show notes. I'm sure it will be. Yeah. Um, we're, we're holding last names. I feel weird with that. But anyway. And Blurb would like that too. Yeah, I think so. And uh, yeah, the Blurb is cool. So if you just need a little quick portfolio and I mean, man, the fact that it's hooked up with like everything now. So like you can go in and make a quick 20 page book of your latest Instagram photos. if you. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> under, an, and under an hour and, and send it off and have your book back in a few days and you've got a little portfolio. I just went, I've been going to lots of portfolio reviews like I've been telling you about. Yeah. Um, and the, I was just at one the other day at a at a major agency here in here in Dallas, and they looked at my brand new book, and of course they loved it and told me how how awesome they thought it was, whatever. But then they also were like, "Well, what's this?" And I was like, "Oh, this is another little book that I made through Blurb with some of my wow. portraits and stuff like that." And they picked that up, and they were like, "This is awesome quality too. Yeah. How much did this cost?" And I was telling them, and they were like, "This is great. We're going to start doing this for maybe some in house stuff and and whatever." And I was like, "Yeah, it is. It is great. It's a, well, it's awesome. It's so great cheap. quality. You yeah, know? yeah. It's a good price. I mean, so. you could." Spend a lot of money if you want. Also, it is pretty cool. Like you know, when you're waiting for it in the mail, and you're like, oh, I, I can't wait, I can't wait. It's Christmas morning. <laughs> Got to see my book. No, it's it's. And it you is can do cool. it for anything, not just your portfolio. I've done it for family stuff. I've done it when I've done like band photo shoots, and then we wanted to put yeah, anything that you've documented and you want to put it all into a book together for whoever. It's a great gift. So 
Yeah. Yeah, the only uh, – like it, the cool thing about it too, I mean you can spend a lot of money on a book. I mean obviously the more pages you put in, uh, you can do hardcover, you can do dust jacket and all that stuff. Right. But I mean you can also very inexpensively do a smaller book uh, sure. that's just paperback and leave it as a takeaway in, or a, like leave behind. Sorry, not a takeaway. <laughs> Take away. <laughs> Just I'm steal the, people's stuff. I'm doing an Indian giver client interview. Mm-hmm. I'm going to show up and take your stuff. <laughs> but you know, no, that's another great thing. If you are going to a lot of portfolio reviews and you do a bunch of little inexpensive ones that are small, that's a great leave behind that people yeah, would is. actually keep. Because as an art director or something, I wouldn't throw away something like that if it was cool photos. I, oh, I, no. I would keep it, you know. Mm-mm. And uh, I was just reading something from an art buyer today online for a. Uh, uh, she works for uh, Texas Monthly, and she put posted a photo of how much mail she gets every week or month or whatever from photographers asking, you know, if they can shoot Texas Monthly or whatever. And it kind of blows your mind. You know that they get a lot of emails and a lot of phone calls and a lot of mail. But when you see this stack that she took a photo of (laughs) on her desk that's like outrageous, then you really get uh, a sense of what these art buyers and creative directors and stuff get from photographers and why you're maybe not getting the answer back on yeah. your email or get a or sense phone of uh, how high your competition is. Yeah. So yeah. if you do give somebody something, give them something that's really cool that they want to stick on their desk because uh, they may not call you back, but if it's cool, they're going to put it on their desk. And when a project comes up that fits you, they're going to pick up that piece and go, let's call this guy. Yeah. Or, he wants or lady. Yeah. Um, we have we have other Twitter comments. We, okay. we used to have an email address where people people could ask questions. I think we still do, but I, I don't. But there, one, yeah, there's so many social networks now. That, well, uh, one, I don't remember what the email more. address was, and two, um, we got to resort that, and make it easier. But anyway, they can they can leave them on the photography show Facebook page, or they can yeah. leave them on Twitter. That's right. We yeah. got we got a lot of signups on the Facebook page this week. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah a ton. Yeah, we were up. We're up to like eighty-two people now. Is that we what were it is? Just over thirty last week. We just started the group two weeks ago. It's not bad. Yeah, no, it was last awesome. week. And then also, we also mentioned this once before, but I know a lot of people on Instagram now, and I'm a huge Instagram fan. So if if, if you like Instagram um, and you want to follow me, I'm Wade Griffith. Ted, you're on there too, right? I think. Are you Ted? Ford? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I, yes, no, I am Ted. Ford. I do, but it, but you, you you do still use it. You have quite a few little photos on there, or whatever. So. Um, anyway, if y'all want to follow us on Instagram, check that out. I am Ted Ford. Or something. Yeah, because that's one of my favorite little social networks right now is Instagram. Yeah, the Instagram's I, cool. I love photos. I, I love social networking, so that's a great little combination. I, I got a beef, dude. Uh-oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not yeah, – Instagram is Instagram. But the, the, pro, the reason I haven't used it much is that it's so closed off. You have to be in the networks of people that, you know – you want to see images of, which is cool. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But I mean, the cool it's thing. It's like anything else, though. It's like that with all the other ones. Well, you I'll tell you what was. The people that you want to follow and follow them. And yeah. The funny thing for me that got me back on Instagram was when my 10 year old nephew signed up. It's like my sister decided that was the one social network he would be allowed to do since <laughs> it's very private. Mm-hmm. And so he's obsessed with the college LSU, right? Right. And, you know, his. First name is Isaac, so it starts with the letter I. So he's L-S-U-I. Well, you look at it, it's like Lusui. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe it's a small Asian guy or something. And and then all he does, it's funny, he, he takes pictures in a, once in a blue moon. They're very funny. Mm-hmm. But, like, his big thing, because he's obsessed with football and LSU and everything mm-hmm. else, it's like montages of sports heroes. <laughs> yeah, or, he's, like, taking pictures of, like, the television. Yeah, and they're usually <laughs> photos of photos and photos of the TV. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it's awesome. Well, that's funny. I could see if I was a kid, I'd be doing the same thing. Yeah, we're always like, what did Lucy post today? Lucy. <laughs> um, okay, so on the Twitter. Twitter, because um, I, I want to get this in here, Dave, Dave W. 
DW Images. I know mm. Dave because he showed I, up at the uh, the Art of Photography meetup, and he's a really, really nice guy. Um, anyway, Dave says, thanks for introducing uh, – he's got two. He's okay. getting double, double time. He said, thanks for introducing MailChimp via the podcast. Used it for the first time and had a first potential new client contact me. That's very cool, too. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of feel like Oprah here reviewing, but but it's seriously, no, yeah, these things actually work that we talk about. So well, and we should do a whole dang show on email marketing and stuff because that is we talked about it a little bit last time, and mm-hmm. and like if you're serious about like what you know what you don't want to do is sit there and and grab a collection of hundred two hundred email addresses and pop them into your email browser, and the next thing you know, AOL or whoever you have is shutting you down. You know, mm-hmm. um, plus it's just too hard to manage that way. Um, yeah. You can't see who opened it. You can't can't see who's clicking through and so using something like MailChimp or Constant Contact or any of those is, is really important for we'll do a whole separate show on that yeah and so we did talk about that it. a lot last time but we, yeah it's definitely could use its own show but uh, it's just something you want to build up your own list of people that you actually know and send them emails um, you know once a month or whatever that are re- relevant to what what they do yeah so um, you don't want to oversaturate them. That's how you can lose people or become spam or, or whatever. So, yeah, it's really. But important. if it's used, if it's used the right way, it's uh, it's very efficient. Well, the dumbest thing you can do is get marked as spam, and then anything coming out of your email address is blacklisted. Exactly, that's um, bad news. I've seen that happen to people, and yeah, because yeah. it's a pain to get. But another great thing about Constant Contact and Mailchimp and all these things is, even before you send your email out, they say it gives you a rating that says this looks like spam, or this right. doesn't look like spam, or this isn't going to be spam at all or, or even whatever. even better like here's your readability you know exactly <laughs> you know? and then you get all that feedback afterwards which is great you see people yeah. that opt out you see who did that you see people who clicked on it and opened it up you see people who didn't open it up but that clicked on it and saw it in fact um, speaking of mailing lists i'll tell you what i have one for the art of photography let's okay. do one for the photography show just just for giggles and yeah see, that'd be uh, great I'll, by the time you're listening to this i'll have it hooked up i'll do it I'll do it this evening. You just put a link. Yeah, I'll put a link, uh, show notes. So, and, and that's the other thing. We need to get our website situated. So I tell you what, just use the Facebook page. I will post it on there. So if you go to facebook.com slash the photography show. Yeah, and then when you go to that, if you do want to go to the website, it has a link from there, correct? Yeah, we, yeah, we yeah. got links to everything. And so I will put a link to our email list. So what will happen is, is by the time we get together and do the email show – um, you'll know what we're talking about. So you can sign up for the email list, and I promise I don't send email out very often. Like once a month is what I'm doing now. And it's basically show news, uh, some photography stuff. I shared that video my friend Les shared with me the other day. Um, yeah, that was cool. I watched Arnold the whole Newman. thing. Yeah, very yeah, cool. Yeah, that, that's in the Facebook page too. A friend of mine who used to be Arnold Newman's assistant back in the 70s. Arnold Newman died in, <clears throat> I think it was 2006, and uh, Les – uh, worked for him for a couple of years in the 70s. And anyway, so after he died, Les shot this video where he talked about and, – and there was another video somebody else had done, the guy who made that video, that was like leftover footage from a documentary they were doing on Arnold Newman in the 70s that never got used. I would so, really like to see a full-blown documentary-style oh, yeah. thing on Arnold Newman because he seems cool. like a fascinating guy. Yeah, and so anyway, so it's really cool. But anyway, that link, the link to that video is in the show notes too, and we've talked about maybe getting Les on this show too as an interview. And we, we've that got some other great. people lined up yeah, too. And we have, yeah, we have some other people lined up that I've been talking to photographer friends of mine and what we would like to do is maybe like every other show or something like that in the future here have people on and get different perspectives from different photographers that shoot all different kinds of photography obviously Um, because we have we I mean some of the people that I know shoot everything from sports to uh, going overseas and and shooting uh, projects over there in Africa and things like that or shooting wildlife and um uh, uh, portraits. Your your, your friend uh, Les. He shoots. He's shot 
tons of celebrities and um, interesting people and portraits and architecture. And so we'd like to bring all these people in and get different perspectives of, you know, how they began their career, uh, how they kept it going. Uh, Just every, every, you know, we're going to come up with some good questions for them, but yeah, we'll we'll see if, uh, we'll see if they drink during the week. (laughs) Exactly. We had a lot of comments back on that comment. It was very funny. Uh, no, but anyway, go sign up for the mailing list and, uh, I'll put it on MailChimp, but anyway, you'll be able to see what the emails look like. And then what we'll do is we'll do a show and I'll tell you to go through and you can see, I mean, I could see exactly from the last email I sent out, which was yesterday actually on the art of photography. Um, you know, I sent, um, 734 out, 380 have been opened, uh, 134 people clicked through, you know, you can start seeing all those things. I had two people unsubscribe. And you can see why you go in there and, and, you know, they're asked when they unsubscribe, if they would list a reason. And most of them say, I'm just not interested anymore. I think it's a multiple choice, but anyway, we'll check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Awesome. Um, Cool. Well, Dave is getting double duty today because he also asked the question, which we are going to kind of use for our topic today, Cool. which is, and he addressed both of us, but when you do a shoot, he's interested in how much we do in the camera and how much work you do in post. And I think that's a pretty good question. Yeah. And it's an interesting topic because, uh, I mean, I'm not going to speak for Wade, but for me, I mean, it really, it, 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 it varies depending on what it is. Um, personally, I like, I mean, I usually end up doing always some kind of post-production, but I'm kind of happiest when it's as little as possible personally, just because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I try to get more right in the camera. The problem is, is like, there's a difference between trying to fix things in post and then things that just need to be done in post. So things that need to be done would be like levels. If you shoot film, getting dust off the, off the frame, uh, you know, all those little things, uh, working on light levels, maybe burning and dodging a little bit, you know, bringing out certain things in the, in the image. But, you know, if you're trying to actually fix things like, and, and sometimes you're, I mean, Wade can probably speak more to this than I, but when you get a client who at the very end decides they need the product moved in the shot or there needs to be another guy in there, you know, and you're Photoshopping somebody in, I hate that stuff. So I just avoid it. Yeah. But, you know, what what is your experience general? Are you a big post guy or? Uh... No. Well, I am. I am. I, we both have art director backgrounds, graphic design backgrounds, so we can we can do the post if it's needed. But I would say just the short answer to this is, and the general rule, is shoot everything you can in the camera. You, yeah. You're going to hear that over and over and over again, probably no matter who you ask. It's um, easier, it, you know. It's, e- it's easier. It's more realistic. It's a huge time saver. Um, you can spend so much time in post-production, way more time than if you just did everything right that you possibly could in camera. So that's everything from getting the lighting down just right to uh, framing uh, it up just right, um, getting everything that needs to be in the scene right, uh, whether that's uh, grass or trees, or if you're indoors, that's moving things around and having props in the right place and people in the right position and all these things. If you can take a shot when, when at the right time, when everything is set just perfect, um, and, and then just do minor post-production afterwards, I think that is always the way to go. Um, but there will be, I mean, there, there's going to be the situation almost every single time where you're going to have to take stuff into Lightroom and into Photoshop afterwards and do uh, at least my at least minor retouching every time, whether that's removing blemishes or removing uh, spots off the camera lens, um, taking things out of the photos like exit signs or things that don't need to be in there that are ugly, stuff off people's uh, shirts and pants, whatever, pimples. Uh, <laughs> it can go on and on. Boils. Uh, depending, on depending on what you're shooting, right. Canker sores. Um, yeah, yeah <laughs> well, exactly. <Gross. laughs> uh, all that stuff exists. 
but uh, yeah, the short answer is just to do everything in camera, and then um, you know just do as, as little post production as you can afterwards. I know that there's a lot of photographers, especially major photographers, who uh, their work is is the work that it is because they do so much post. Mm-hmm. And I, I would think that if that's the case. Uh, I'm almost probably going to hire someone. I, I usually always do my own post-production work, but if I'm ever getting super busy or um, it, it, I need to take it to a next level of, well, that is amazing re- retouching, I'm going to hire someone to do that who, who does, does that full-time. Yeah. yeah, and that's something I don't think people think about or discuss a lot. But no, I mean, and, and that's it, that's not a new thing. I mean, you know, even in that Arl Newman thing, I mean, he had other people do his post work. A lot of guys did. Right. And, you know, if there's somebody who really specializes in, in something that you want as far as a look or something like that, you know, Having somebody else do your retouching uh, for something very specific like that actually is not a bad idea, particularly if you're busy and money. Well spent. As a photographer, you want to surround yourself by people who are experts in their field, right. and you may be an expert at what you do, which is taking the picture. But when it comes to post production, if someone's devoting their entire livelihood to that, they're going to be way better at that than you. So why not? Hand, if it's yeah. if it's if it's the type of photo that needs to be at that level, or the client wants it to be at that level, then handing it off to them and letting them do that, and and you know. Is the way to go. Well, particularly if it's like you know, in my case, if it's something that I'm just going to have to experiment to get right, and it's going to take me, you know, 20 hours of a 40 hour work week to get it done, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and 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 you're going to be able to hire somebody else for two hours that's going to just take care of it, you know. Exactly. Uh, there's a difference between. I mean, especially, I guess we're talking more too, you know, if it's if it's paying work from a client, mm-hmm. you know, you have a deadline your to adhere to. Right. Yeah. Versus your own stuff, and if you're a lot of my own stuff, I'm shooting to learn, so that's totally different. I would use an outside person probably on that um, no. it would really have to be a special case scenario but yeah but but uh, no i've always really done my own produ- post-production work but just this year uh some projects have come up where i've put a um retoucher into the estimate for the client right. because um of the high level of quality that that they wanted you know that we talked about in the meeting at the end that i knew was going to be such a great amount of time right that, um, and such a high level that i just wanted to go ahead and have somebody else take care of that um and and yeah, but up to this point, I think it's great to to know how to do your own retouching. I think that's super critical as a photographer, um, especially in this day and time with everything being digital. Because if 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 you're not a good retoucher of your own work, well, then you're kind of losing some ground there, and other people are going to kind of pass you by there right. uh, because that's just something that's needed. But um, just. Ted, why don't you take them through just real quick, even just on personal stuff that you do or on projects that you've worked on for someone else or whatever. Right. What is kind of your process from um, from start to, to delivering the, the final uh, pictures? Well, my process is going to be – and probably because, you know, like we said, we both come from um, – you know, design world backgrounds, but I, I do have a process and that's kind of what I threw down on the outline here that we were talking about. And whether it's, you know, if it's for a client or even a lot of my more serious personal work, and I'm not talking about, Hey, it's a nice day outside. I'm just going to take my camera out and shoot and mm-hmm. goof around. I mean, that, that, that's all well and good. And, and the, that's like improvisational photography. I always call it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it has its place. Um, it's maybe street photography's like that a little bit, but you know, if I'm working on something that's very specific for a portfolio or something that I'm going to do a print out of or Stuff that you know, you know that I'm going to be really proud of. I tend to conceptualize that first, and if you follow the other podcast that I do, we did a master class a couple of years ago where I went through a lot of exercises and stuff. You know, things you can do if you are trying to get better at that kind of conceptualization and kind of pulling yourself out of the tendencies to do the same kinds of things every time. So anyway, 
all this to say. Plan out, plan out your shoot. Yeah, first. this is this is a planning stage, pre-visualizing what what it is that you're going to shoot, what it is that you're going to need, um, and this this is like you know just basically what you're doing is you're thinking through uh, to the end result of of what you want it to look like. It doesn't have to be perfect. You can make changes along the way, but what you're trying to do is give yourself kind of a structure and a direction. And then will what you that, even will you even go as far as sketching things out? Sometimes. Um, I think it's more more mental with you, just ideas in your head. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of sitting and thinking, and you know, when you're in the car and stuff like that. And I kind of know what it is I'm going to be going for. I have done things where I've sketched it out. Um, I don't do as much of that, admittedly, nowadays. But then again, I've also, you know, just I go through phases on things. But but you know, you could do that. And I mean, Wade, you might have a slightly now. Okay, let me back up just a minute. When I do video projects, though. Um, I almost always storyboard them. Now I'm talking not talking about personal work. Now I'm talking about work that you right. Do. So yeah, when yeah. we're talking about uh, work, yeah, work for hire and, and personal work is different. When I do personal work too, I might just have an idea in my head and right. then just and just just go from there. And I used to kind of design like that, which was bad. But in, if, if a client needed to see something, I would sketch it all out so they could could see it what I was thinking about, which is yeah. why we do that for work reasons. But if it's not and you just have an idea in your head, then it's kind of good to just. Uh, you have that idea and then just go from there and just go straight into working. Yeah, that that is the biggest difference. I mean, if you're if you're keeping stuff in your head, that's fine if it's you um, mm-hmm. and you and you know you're not going to forget it. Like sometimes, like I keep a notebook. If there's if there's a shot that's really involved, that I think would be cool, and I don't have time to try to do it or the money resources or what you know. If you're thinking mm-hmm. about aerial helicopter scene of something, you know, yeah. then fine, write it down, kind of describe it to yourself, and that you know. But like when you're working on a project, yeah, if you're going to have to communicate with anybody else on that project, then you do need to have something kind of story. And in case of video or sketched out in the case of a still image, maybe there's several different images you're going to try three or four. Right. Um, and and this this is helpful whether it's personal or specifically client work because I think when you're doing client work, the the chances of having an assistant on the job or somebody who's a food stylist or there's other people you probably will work with, and mm-hmm. it's really important to be able to communicate those things. Like Wade was saying, you know, when he was a designer, he used to do that. It's a bad idea. Well, in a design position, you're almost always having to communicate with clients and other mm-hmm. people, and so that's that's really important to uh, anything you're going to have to show anybody to be able to do. Uh, you don't have to have good drawing skills either. You just got to be able to generally Loosely, yeah, yeah, draw something. Stick figure. If that's <laughs> with my work stuff, with my with with portraits, I'll a, a lot of times when you go in there, you don't have a lot of time to think about uh, what you're going to do or try to come up with the ideas while you're there. If you can if you can already have a basic plan of what you're going to do and get those shots, then with the leftover time, you're going to feel good about what you did. And then with the leftover time, you can you can kind of improvise and do some fun stuff and maybe something cool comes out of that. But you already feel good about what you initially went in there with with your idea. Um, so I'll even sketch those out. Um, how many people are going to be in the shots, kind of where I'm going to position them. And these are just quick little sketches in a notebook, where I'm going to position my lights maybe uh, and that kind of thing. So that when I go in there, a lot of times you're nervous or whatever, so you don't want to forget ideas. If you have them sketched out and you can go to them, you go, oh, this okay, this is the first shot we're going to set up. Here's where I'm going to put the lights. Here's where I'm going to put the people. Yeah. And uh, it can be a good rule of thumb to go by. And then from there, you can feel you know more comfortable and start improvising and, and get some other cool shots. But it, Or if I'm doing architecture, I'll do the same thing. And it even has to be more planned out because architecture depends so much on um, – time of day so i'll have my north south east west which way the building faces uh, or which way the light's going to come in through an interior window um what time of day the sun is going to be 
low in the sky or what time it's going to be at sunrise or sunset and all those kind of things where I'm going to position my camera. And I'll have all that kind of stuff sketched out even like on a Google Map satellite or something like that. So you can go from very loose if it's your own personal project stuff to uh, – you know, very controlled if it's a if it's a project for someone else and, and you need that kind of control. You know, it is funny, too, how much mileage you can get <laughs> free planning, especially outdoors with like a combination of Google Maps and weather.com. Oh, yeah. You know, so you I just... have this sunrise sunset app. It's been super useful. Oh, yeah. Compass app. So I know which way directions are. And then, yeah, Google Maps, especially with satellites now and be able to see a building and actually which way the sun is hitting it at different times of the day and, and stuff like that is is crucial well and that that kind of brings up another point too do you do you do a lot of location scouting at all of course yeah Yeah. which basically if you're not familiar with that but basically that means okay we know you know in the case of something that's architectural i have this building i'm going to shoot go see it before you set up to shoot it you know and maybe you have a camera maybe you don't but you're just trying to get a feel for what else is going to be in the shot what are some of the challenges going to be what's the light going to do you know especially yeah if you can go there at that time of day that you're planning on going there to for the shoot and actually see what maybe might be problems or you know what the light looks like and where it's best to place someone or or whatever that kind of stuff's great but even if you can't go to the location because it's too far away or it's another city or whatever it is google maps is a great thing to just get a great idea of an overhead view you can go down street level look around 360 and uh I, I I almost just I plan half my shoots just by looking at Google Maps. Yeah, just yeah. being able to study that location. Yeah, yeah it's interesting because I think there's this kind of folklore perception that you know the great photographer just shows up, somebody hands him the camera, and they're done in ten minutes. <laughs> it's it's wild how much goes into it that has nothing to do with pressing the button. Ton know? of pre planning, right? Yeah. Well, and another thing, like Wade said, having a look down, I think is really important at least because yeah, when you get there, especially if you have other people in the shoot, there's so many distractions. You're not going to be creative. I mean, it's going to be really hard to be able to think creatively you know go ahead and have everything pre-planned so you can go for it and then like what he was saying you got extra time then you then you're feeling loose by that point you know you've been shooting a while it's just kind of like a, like a, a job interview you're yeah. going to feel much better about everything if, you, if you've planned ahead and uh, you've got all your ducks in a row before you get there you'll feel a lot more confident than if you go in uh, just kind of willy-nilly and winging it you're going to be you know a little bit more nervous about it because you're not really you don't know what you're going to do. Well, one of the worst things you can do is go in there and then either one, be nervous if you're shooting people or if you're working with other people or two, just be too distracted. And then, then you're forced with like, okay, I brought all these images home. I've got to make them work somehow. Mm-hmm. And that's bad. Cause then there's going to be posts. There's going to be fooling around. There's going to be massive light level changings and curves. And you know, I don't know. It's just planning that stuff out. In it's just like the really boy scout cool. model. Be prepared. <laughs> yeah. An ounce of preparation is well, well, or like the carpenter model where they say, you know, measure twice, cut once kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really important because, you know, if like you were saying earlier, if there's something, I mean, you know, there's, there's polish that you do in post, you know, basic level adjustments, color saturation adjustments, uh, face retouching, things like that. And, but then there's other things like, okay, so if it, if like, like, let's say you're shooting someone and there's some weird object that's in the background. And if it's going to take me another 20 minutes to reposition that and figure that out, I'd rather do that than spend another four hours trying to figure out how to cover it up in post-production. I mean, exactly. it's just going to save so much time in the long yeah, run. Just get it out of there before you take the picture. Yeah. And that's, you know, I mean, post-production is kind of fun. I think a lot of photographers, particularly on the amateur level, get into it because it's something they can do without their camera to their own photos. Yeah. And uh, but, 
you know, I think there's a big difference. I mean, I think a lot of times when you look on Flickr or even 500px to a lesser extent or, you know, a lot of the images that people are doing online, there's so many of them that are so overprocessed. And, right. You know, That's what you don't want to go for. Anything that ever looks fake or that looks like it was retouched, then if if that's the case, then I think you've you've done a bad job. Yeah, I think one of the one like you know some of the stuff I see a lot get you know with black and white images is that the, the extreme high contrast where you start losing details that would have made the shot actually pretty nice, and then then the big vignette that goes around the side, the circular vignette that's too heavy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at it as a thumbnail, it looks like a white circle in the middle of a black. <laughs> You know, it's like mm-hmm. ease up, man. That's yeah. <laughs> we don't need that much vignette. But if if something is done in post production, uh, like some you know major professional photographers do, where you can tell that there was tons of retouching, but it's still an amazing photograph. That's one thing. Yeah. Um, but if it just looks like it was bad retouching, and you can tell what was done, then that's what I'm talking about. As far as you know, it's like oh, I, I can tell that they retouched her entire face because now she looks like plastic, and it looks t- and smoothed out to where it looks unhuman and, you know, stuff like this or whatever. So you you just want things to look natural and you don't want people to, when they look at your photograph, the first thing they think about is how retouched it looks. You want them to think about the photograph itself without really seeing that. Did you see, well, a lot of her work is like this now. Um, Annie Leibowitz, who got in trouble a few years ago with one of her assistants. Did you hear this story? Uh, Yeah, I've heard a lot of stories about stuff like that. I can't remember who it was. It was a coffee campaign and it's the, uh, they're not Colombian. Maybe it is Lavazza or something. Okay, hang on. I'm I'm good. I may not know this exact story. Yeah, yeah. Lavazza calendar. Okay, so Lavazza coffee man. Yes, this is it. So if you if you do, just do a Google image search um, for Ani Leibovitz Lavazza. It's L A V A Z Z A, and they she was hired to shoot a calendar. And Lavazza, our coffee bean importer, um, and it was the weirdest ad. I mean, and she's a great photographer. So let me let me preface this by saying and. and She's one of my favorites. Yeah, but this this particular project it was weird. They were going for this real surreal. Um, oh, I'm trying to describe it. You know, Fantasia type effect mm-hmm. of, and I can't remember exactly what the concept was, but I believe it was actual tales of things. Uh, like for instance, she shot Queen Latifah, I believe, as an octopus, and so it was kind of this Disney. You know, vibe to it. Okay, yeah, I saw some of that stuff. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. there was one shot she did, and it was. And I don't know who's in it, but it's it's it was shot. It's a woman with fur on her back and these two babies underneath, and she's drinking coffee. <laughs> You'll find it if you do the Google image, <laughs> like we all do. And and she has uh, oh boy, I'm blanking out today. Uh, Rome, ancient Rome, the the gladiators uh, go down there, and uh, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. You see the what's that called? The Parthenon. No, uh, gladiator. No, 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 no. Oh, no, not no. the movie. The name of the building where uh, <laughs> oh. where the gladiators did the th- people, yeah. Gotcha. I hope people are laughing by now. Not just thinking. Yeah, stupid. they're like he is an idiot. The Parthenon. The uh, anyway, that building. The Colosseum. Colosseum. Thanks, whoever said that. Um, whoever thought that. So anyway, so what happened, the story was, is that, uh, and I may be getting parts of this wrong, but one of her assistants went out to do a location scouting pre-shoot and basically just went to the Coliseum and shot some images and brought them back. Well, the end result in this particular photo, and a lot of them from this catalog, is that I don't know if they were shot on a green screen or just trimmed, but she has the, the subjects in the front. And it looks so phony, and the and the Coliseum's in the back, and it's way over photoshopped, and the skies are weird. Well, apparently she was getting sued by the assistant because she just used his shot. She didn't go reshoot it herself. Oh wow! I don't know what their business arrangement was on that, but it sure is a half-ass little way of doing it. I don't know what 
I mean, it could be. There's so many things that you don't know about these kinds of projects. So, for instance, you have Annie Leibovitz, who's this renowned photographer, and it could have been a very difficult client. It could have been a weird situation, but it paid way. I mean, there's there's so many variables that go into, mm-hmm. you know, I can't just sit here and say this is a bad job that I don't yeah. like, you know, and I don't know what went into it. But uh, having said that, it, it's really bizarre. So if you just do an image search for Annie Leibovitz, Lavazza, you'll start seeing things, and they're all bad. There's a woman lying in spaghetti and – it's just d- bizarre what she's done on yeah, this. Yeah, well, so I mean, even with with top notch photographers, things can go wrong, and yeah. uh, they're, they're still learning uh, all the time. And and and, and yeah, a project can just go bad. You know, it's, 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 it can happen. But a lot, of, you know, when people hire somebody like Annie, they want um, they want her her brilliance. They want the kind of photos they've seen from her before and they want her hand in everything. And they'd really sure. probably like her to take the pictures. Uh, but I understand at the same time that people get really busy and they also have a team. And so when they, uh, when they hire her, they hire her team. So it, it is weird that maybe this other girl took the pic, the, some of the, the background pictures. And that's part of the controversy is that it wasn't Annie that, that took the pictures, but, um, you know that's how it is. Sometimes you're you're hiring a person, but if they have people under them, you're hiring the team. So, um, well, and here's the weird part. I, I've just noticed in going through these, some of these are not from the Lavazza calendar. She did another campaign for Disney, which was equally strange. Uh, I saw they, that one too. Yeah, they it's take like the, a guy in the water in a yeah, cave. Yeah, you've seen these. Thing. They've got yeah. King Arthur. They've got I think the Queen Latifah as the octopus was from something. Uh, they got Peter Pan, and they're bizarre. And it's like, and again, I don't know whose decisions things were, or whatever, but. You know, obviously Disney's going to want something that's kind of far out. What's interesting, though, is a shot came up in here, and I, I, I apologize for not researching to be more accurate with my facts on this than I am. But um, there's a shot in here that I have seen. Have you seen that? It's the show. It's the image she did. It's a portrait of the White Stripes, and it's got mm-hmm. Jack White and what's her name, and she's like on the this spinning deal, and he's throwing yeah. knives at her. Yeah, and it's it's shot like on a rainy day, and yeah. it has a really dramatic look because the red and the white that they're wearing against this you know heavy blue background, and it's like okay, there's a shot that works, and it yeah. looks real, and it is dramatic. I don't, I don't know, and I'm and going it was probably photoshopped to death, but it doesn't necessarily look that way. Yeah, and yeah. I don't know. I, I just think these surreal ads, it becomes just it, – it's almost like illustration with photographs after a while. And, and I, there I is just, that type of photography, and there is that type of photography that's wanted and needed uh, by certain clients. That's what they want, and there's no other way to get it you know, besides uh, taking a photo photograph of, of the scenery, taking a photograph of the subject taking a photograph of this fake alligator prop mm-hmm. taking a, and, then, and then merging all these things together in something that kind of looks part you know photography and part illustration there's there's a there's a great need for that or desire for that so i mean that's what she's doing she's she's yeah. kind of doing what the client wants so i can see that and we're so bombarded by that in movies anymore but you know i have right. the same feeling when i see a movie that's just overindulged in 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 graphic effects and and post production, like you know, it's probably an argument here, but Avatar, which I thought was one of the worst movies ever made, it looked incredible. But once the 3D wears off, I mean, it was the dumbest story. It's like, oh, here comes the white man who's going to save the tribe. I mean, it was just so stupid. And the problem is, is the effects. The movie didn't hold up, and so about halfway through, I'm starting to get bored with it. Because yeah, you, you, you definitely it. can't base. Um, everything off of you know special effects. I think maybe we're going down a whole different path here. But oh, we definitely uh, are. But yeah, but it, it could apply to photography too. You can't base it. The whole photograph can't be made 
into a wonderful photograph by by special effects and by post production, and neither can a movie. No. Um, or you quickly lose interest. There has to be something there that that grips the person that is the the focus of the the, the photograph. Yeah, you know. Well, and Annie Leibovitz certainly is able to do that, and I think yeah. that's what maybe frustrates me because you know some of her best work. If you look at oh some of the 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 uh, photographer's life book that she did, which got a bunch of the images of Susan Sontag and her mm-hmm. her. her ill years and mm-hmm. you know or the the famous rolling stone cover because i'm looking at right now in this image search but um that she did of john lennon kissing yoko ono and john Lennon's on. naked right. yeah mm-hmm. and you know the whole story behind that shot i didn't realize it i mean just on the surface that shot is a very intimate shot there's nothing touched up there's nothing in post it's two iconic figures it's john lennon and it's yoko ono um and obviously you're right there behind the camera with annie and it's, it's just an intimate great photo and yeah. When I found out later that, I mean, John Lennon was murdered like two hours after that image was taken. That was one of the last that happened after that photo shoot. It makes it even more kind of surreal and strong. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just and it really is a matter weird. of taste as well. I mean, you got to say that you're you're sure. definitely and 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 I am too in a lot of ways. A, a, a kind of what I guess photographers like to call a purist. You love black and white photography. You love stuff straight out of the camera. You love stuff that looks very raw. And a lot of the stuff that she's shot in the past ha- has been that kind of thing. Uh, her documentary photography. If you love that kind of photography, you're going to love what you see from her because she's great at that. Mm-hmm. She's photographed everything from. Um, you know, her girlfriend dying to her parents dying to her children to everything in the world, and it's great stuff. And then you have somebody like Disney, though, on a on a very corporate end. And this happens if if you if you work, you know, and and you make you're you're doing it for a living. You're going to get a call from somebody who says, "I need all this stuff," and it can't be pulled off in a documentary style no. situation. It has to be uh, this huge photo shoot that's you know. All these different photos taken and then layered together in, 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 post, in post-production, and um, it's a totally different look. And well, what they're requesting is is real-looking images of what are essentially animated cartoons. Don't <laughs> exist. Yeah, yeah it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I don't mean to bash Annie. I mean she's she's wonderful. And but you know, I mean that's just my taste. Whether it's color or black and white, mm-hmm. I mean, just I, right. I like an intimacy involved. I like even when I mean I love surrealistic imagery. Imagery, sorry, and things that are like whoa you know kind of mind-bending in a way but i i don't know there's just there's just a point where it's just not that's not photoshop trickery that's that's kind of mental you know yeah uh, creativity it's not you know yeah. so i don't know um we, we really turn this into dave's question <laughs> on what do you do on a shoot and post versus but it is well, I interesting think it comes down to this the 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 less post-production you can do um the better and get what you can in camera and if you do have a lot of post-production make it look as realistic as possible so that people don't notice it yeah i mean i think if if you can you know bring it all down to to just that you're going to be doing doing a great job even if it is something that's kind of um whimsical or fantasy or whatever uh the 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 more that people don't notice the the post-production that was done there the better like you're talking about no, I think so. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think a great example is Saul Leader. Um, you know, I, I did a podcast on him years ago. And if you're not familiar with Saul, go look him up. It's Saul Leiter, L-E-I-T-E-R, I believe. Leiter? Leiter? <laughs> Can't remember how to spell it now. Here, here let me look because let's, let's get this right for the, for the people because uh, he'll blow your mind. 
L-E-I-T-E-R. Saul was a uh, – oh, he was one of the classic photographers in the 40s and 50s. Wasn't very well known. He uh, did a lot of magazine work during that time. Uh, was very successful, Was but was not considered a fine artist by any stretch of the imagination. But he did all these color pictures that he was just doing for his own personal enjoyment, you know, uh, and having fun with that. And – they he kind of got rediscovered just boxes of these things that that in the probably about the 90s and now he's really well known as this fine artist who did this kind of you know these really surrealistic street photos that are these very vivid colors and very beautiful names. That sounds a lot like what's her name? Uh like who? Um black and white photographer who was the nanny. Oh 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 yeah 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 yeah. Uh, very yeah. similar to that except Saul Leader was known. He he was a working photographer. In the oh, okay okay. Where uh, yeah, where she a, wasn't known at all at right. the time. He did a ton of work for. I'm looking at the Wikipedia article. Um, I mean, it would have been major magazines at that time, like Look or uh, I'm trying to think of what they would be in you know, a fashion magazine stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know basically kind of came out with some color work for a couple of personal exhibitions later on and became more recently known for this and anyway but a lot of it's abstract and it's like him shooting into reflections in windows or street puddles or you know people who aren't facing the camera anyway it's a really great example of how you can still have that tactile feel to it but start getting i guess things that people would consider effects um out of stuff but they're done in camera you in know? camera right I and mean, i think that's really Anyway, go look yeah, up it Saul shows Leader. a more creative process. Here it is, Esquire really? and later in Harper's Bazaar. And also at that time, it's important to note that publications, it was expensive to print in color. And most people didn't do it on a regular basis. If you look at old magazines, they're usually black and white with, with the exception of the cover. And so things like Esquire, Harper's Bazaar. So he, he just – he was not doing a lot of uh, color work at that time for those people. So mm-hmm. Well, like one, one guy right now that is – um, I'm always interested in is is the guy that does Maddie on things, the coonhound, the dog that's uh, standing on different things or hiding behind bushes oh, or, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. in a in a box or I mean he puts him uh, it, it, he doesn't do any of this kind of stuff in post production. The dog can just balance or get into any kind of shape or form or get inside anything, and it, they're always funny. You talking and, about Wegman? Uh, yeah, no, I'm talking about. Um, I'll have to look. Maddie the dog. We'll put it in the show notes or something. But okay. yeah, Maddie the coonhound, and uh, he has a book out right now called Maddie on Things. There it is. And, Maddie the coon. All right, I thought you were talking about Wegman. Sorry. No, no, this is kind of a, a modern day guy. Who's, okay, so uh, MaddieOnThings.com. If you, yeah, this is hilarious. I love yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, this is hilarious. He puts Maddie in all different kinds of positions, and he, he's on Instagram. So if you follow Insta- him on Instagram, you get like Maddie every day in That's some kind cute. of new position, whatever. But it's great. What we're talking about in in camera creativity, no post production. Um, Dude, this stuff's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And he just came out with a new book. He just published everything that he's taken the last year, and he's been kind of traveling all over the U.S. and taking Maddie with him and putting her, you know, in different positions. What's, what's and this dude's name? I can't remember Hang his on. name. Which he didn't is, put it on his own site. He's got a Tumblr site just called Maddie the Coonhound. Ron Humphrey. Okay, yeah, that's it. There you go. Dude, this guy's uh, awesome. It's, yeah, it's look totally... into him more because he also has a website where he does um, – he, he's taken photographs of people that he knows as he's traveled the country, like really great photographs of them in their home. And then he's interviewed them in an audio form. So you're, oh, cool. you look through the photos that he's taken of these different people, and then the audio is playing of them being interviewed. So it's a really cool audio-visual 
uh, thing that he's done on another website. If you if you dig enough deep this into is, this, is really nice. I'm sorry I don't have those all right off the top of my head, but we'll we'll find them and put them in the show well, notes. The the what's just absolutely genius about this is it's it's very much. Um, like Wegman in the sense that he's got this dog that he's shooting doing very funny things, but the <laughs> images look nothing like. I mean, it's totally different style. I think no, this and, is and awesome. Yeah, but he's great with composition. Yeah, and uh, he he's got a great eye uh, for for positioning this dog and taking great pictures. And then on top of that, why these are so successful as well is that this dog is an amazing dog that can kind of do all these amazing things and he can get these pictures of and the dog will stay still for him yeah. um yeah so it's a great combination I, and 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 the deal is is he picked up this dog maddie um this was a dog that was like either he found on the street or he picked it up at a shelter but uh later in life he didn't have this dog like all the way from a puppy and it turns out to be this amazing dog which now is you know a famous dog and <laughs> and he's a famous photographer and hilarious, um, he has a book out and yeah all about uh, it's, it it's like so, yeah yeah it's like he even I has just an, love it. he even has an app out uh that's called maddie on things i think and huh. you can just take the dog he's taking the dog in every different type of position and you can place them into your fo- he can place the dog into your photographs on your phone and you know then upload them and wow. you can put maddie on things so it's it's all kinds of stuff but just same kind of thing that we're talking about here today using your mind and creativity and doing everything in camera and not having to do a bunch of post-production and, and being able to come come out with great photographs well there's also an amazing marketing thing here too <laughs> yeah this guy's just figured it out i mean if you want to figure out how to be successful as a photographer i'm mean, just like thinking outside the box like this i mean this and is awesome this was a guy this is another part of it this is not a guy who's going for success or going to be going all out to just be noticed or famous or anything else i think it's he's just having happened. fun with his life and he loves taking pictures and he loves this dog and it all shows shows through and um and and this is why people you know like like these photographs and follow him and why well, there are hundreds of images on the site i mean i'm on page 14 it's like <laughs> golly yeah. no yeah. yeah check it out but maddie you can look on up things. him too as a photographer and see the other website stuff he does which is really fascinating as well uh, but he's very good yeah and then they're all square images i wonder if they're hasselblad or something like that not that it would matter they, but. they may be but I, I know he also just does some stuff with his phone too so and maybe all kinds of things yeah oh yeah it's very cool yeah check that out m-a-d-d-i-e on things.com we'll, we'll link these in the show notes and you know what we could do, we could do too i mean it's just like i need anything else to do in my life um <laughs> I, I could i could put them as posts on the facebook page but see i don't know not everybody uses facebook i don't know what yeah, eh, eh, yeah not every, well i would say the majority of the world is on there though so it, it's just something we can do and if you're on there then great if you're not then um you can go to the you, you can know, suck it. You can go to the show notes or something like that. No, I'm not going to tell anybody to suck it for not going to use <laughs> no, Facebook. Don't do that. We're going to no. lose our audience. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think Facebook. You can face- bash a lot of people, Ted, but don't bash our audience. Well, let's. Uh, hey, full disclosure, I think Facebook <laughs> is as creepy as it gets. So, you know, <laughs> go figure. Like, okay, here, all right, all right, I got I got a beef. Okay, oh, you I, got a beef. I got a beef. This is what's you causing need a t-shirt that says I got a beef. I got a beef. <laughs> Your your tombstone's gonna say Ted Forbes. He had a beef. <laughs> Check it out, dude. Okay, so I have a peeve, is what I have. All right, this this is what drives me to drink during the week. One of the things I know, I know, and I'm not gonna call anybody out, but here's the deal: people follow me on Facebook, and I follow back. I don't. There's nothing you're gonna see in my life on Facebook. I just try to be 
etiquette-wise, I follow people back. What drives me to drink is when I have somebody follow me. They never reach out, no emails, no nothing, but then they start tagging me in their crappy photographs. Sorry, dude. It was one photo. Uh, no, no, no. Just kidding. No. it did, One dude did it over and over. And so I go in there, remove my t- – it's like a photo of his kid. It's bad. It's like, you know. Oh, it's not even you in the photograph. No, it's not me. I see. But what they're doing is they're trying to be social media networking, and so they're putting other people's names in these photos so that my followers would see it. And all. It's like, dude, come on, you know. Yeah, yeah not cool. Dude, that is a peeve, man. It just I, it makes me want to beat my head against the desk. Only tag people that um, are actually in the photograph, and then if it's a bad photo of them, don't go ahead, don't tag them either, because I've uh, they don't appreciate that. No, and I, I mean, what it came down to, and the guy stopped doing it, um, but I had to send him an email and said, "Dude, why do you keep tagging me in every photo you put up?" Oh, I thought you'd like to see it. No. I, I yeah. mean, there, I like to see images, sure, but but don't irritate me and get me to yeah. see it that way. You know? Right, yeah. So anyway, I mean, literally it was like daily I'd go pull my name out of four photos at a time. And it always says, are you being harassed? I'm like, well, no, I'm not being harassed. I'm just being annoyed. Yeah. Yeah, that's my But beef, the one dude. cool thing about social media sites, too, is there's so many great privacy restrictions and things that you can really narrow it down to um, who you want to be friends with, who you want to see things. Um, all that kind of stuff. You can get it as private as you want it to be or as open as you want it to be. Yeah. And so if you're a private person, you can do it that way. If, if if you're an open person and want everybody to see everything, then great. But at least you have those options. Wade. What? I think maybe I should become a private person. <laughs> it's I time. think that's impossible for you. <laughs> it is time to stop opening the kimono. <laughs> you're that's all t- over the internet. You have two podcasts. Oh, Um, I wouldn't say you're a private person. No, okay. But you know what I am excited about? What? It's Super Bowl Sunday. Yes. You're coming over to my house for a Super Bowl party. I am coming to your house very shortly. I'm going to bring libations of the adult variety. Do uh, People in London, they don't care anything about our football. um, Not soccer. Probably not because they uh, got real football. Yeah. So if they're listening – and since most people are from London that listen to our show – but they know how we are as Americans. It's, it's like it's like their soccer or whatever. They know. You know, it's, actually, I, I want to say uh, back to Dave again. This was another Dave thing is he had tweeted me asking me if I could recommend an American beer that wasn't a lager. And I didn't get back with him uh, because it's I, – I can't – 140 characters, dude. That's like – Oh, yeah. This is a whole other show. Uh, it's a whole other podcast. Um, oh, but we could definitely do that, but we just have to think about it. Well, if you if you if you live in the United States, you're gonna agree with us here. If you're listening to this, if you do not, I got to tell you about what 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 is up with beer in the U.S. So for years and years and years, beer was awful. Um, we had you know basically two breweries that made everything, and it was just asinine drivel. It was, it was Budweiser crap. and Miller. It was terrible, yeah. And so, oh yeah, when I mean, when we were kids, dude, it was like Michelob and Schlitz, or uh, I mean, nobody wanted to drink that stuff. Give you bad breath, it tasted <laughs> horrible. And so, you know, if you want good beer, you go to London because they've always had this, you know, or Germany or Belgium. anywhere, anywhere but the U.S. Oh, Belgium. So, round about the '90s, a couple breweries start up in the U.S. against all odds, completely, um, and they come up with what is now known as the craft beer scene. Mm-hmm. And basically, I mean, some of these companies, we have all these laws that still exist post-prohibition that are just antiquated that have to be changed. So it's basically people who start a company and then they get involved with legislation and stuff just to try to get their beer sold. And craft beer is like the rage in the U.S. now. So, yeah, there because are many it's great and you have so many options. It's delicious. 
It's oh, delicious. Yeah. It's delicious. In fact, what I'm going to do, and this, I'm going to tell them what I'm going to do tonight. Don't be creepy, anyone. Okay. Because there's locations being disclosed. Um, we have a new place that, that is not far from where I live called Craft and Growler. Don't be creepy. Um, and so anyway, uh, what I'm going to do is, is there's a new law in Dallas anyway that basically allows for a, a bar that can do takeaway. And so you buy a growler, which is a large bomber-looking device. A jug. It's a jug, basically, yeah, with a nice stopper on it. Mm-hmm. And you go fill that up off their tap, take it away. So I'm going to go over to Wade's for the Super Bowl, and I'm going to – I've got Have his growlers. jug with him. I'm going to – Be I'm dressed gonna, like a hobo. And oh. drink from your jug the whole time. <laughs> that would be classy. <laughs> no, but it is really cool and it's really fun. And these jugs are awesome too, like from a design perspective and stuff. There's all different kinds from $5 to $60 and, and they're cool looking and they've got cool logos and stuff on them. And yeah, you can fill up, your, put your favorite beer in there and, and um, take it home with you and sip on it for a few weeks or, or just drink it all at the Super Bowl party. Yeah, that's what I do. You know, yeah, don't waste any. Um, the, uh, the the cool thing, too, about the Craft and Growler is it ends up uh, most of the breweries that are on their menu are local breweries. So you can get – you can take home beer from companies that aren't even bottling yet, which is really cool So because there's some yeah. really good ones. Petacolis, dude. We Okay, now we're going to have to change the title of our show, though, the, the, the photography slash beer show. The beer show. I'm going to – okay, so if they have it – you know, they had their grand opening finally yesterday. Okay, and they had uh, they had the Stone Vertical Epic twelve twelve twelve. Do you know about that? Mm-mm. Okay, so Stone Brewery, I believe they're in California. Is that right? All right, don't don't check me on that. Stone Stone, they were doing this limited edition run that they started in two thousand one. So each year, it would be whenever the dates matched up. So the first one was January first two thousand one. The second year's release date was two two two. Mm-hmm. Third year was three three three. Well, this year was last year was twelve twelve twelve. So this is the last of that series that they're going to okay. do. So supposedly they got some of this on tap in there. So if they've got it, I'm going to get it. I've had it. It tastes like molasses. It's so good, dude. It's rich. <laughs> it's like licking molasses right <sighs> off the tree. I need to. I need a drink. That's their tagline. I can't drink. It's one forty in the afternoon on a Sunday. Well, I think be, people are be poor form. We went to Target earlier to buy all of our groceries and stuff for our party tonight, and we got all of our beer there too. And on the through the as we were going through the checkout line, the guy said, "Sir, you can't buy liquor before <sighs> twelve on a Sunday." And I was like, "Oh, I never think." Then, of that. then why never, was it out? Yeah, I, never, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I picked it up, I put it in my cart. So I yeah, so I had to take it out and put it at the end of the shopping line, and with oh. like. There was like twenty other things of liquor it, because everyone else had been doing the same thing today. The Super, Super Bowl Sunday, Sunday. That's yeah. Funny. So we weren't alone, but then See, I ran out. That's later an example after. of one of those bogus post-prohibition laws that still exists. Yeah, I just told him I I, I haven't drank you know before noon on a Sunday since I was a homeless person. But uh, <laughs> well, yeah, and and like like somebody who really had an alcohol problem, not selling it before noon on Sunday is going to keep them from drinking. <laughs> Seriously, dude. Uh, it used to be. Do you remember when we were? Ki- but we're going long here. Do you remember when we were kids? Uh, I remember. Do you remember Blue Laws? Mm-mm. You couldn't ba- basically Blue Laws. You couldn't buy much of anything on Sunday. I remember in Dallas proper. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. I yeah. Know. It, it, it just went, changed around here like a year ago. Uh, yeah. Around. If you went to like what was the drugstore Eckerd's or something, it was just five and dime drugstore. Mm-hmm. Like you could get essentials and that was it. So essentials included like food, uh, medicine, band aids, anything like that you could you could purchase on a Sunday. And like anything I was into at the age of twelve, video games, uh, Star Wars, what you know, you couldn't buy any of that stuff. 
It was weird. Weird. Yeah, yeah. I've never heard of all that. It was, it was living that. in the Bible Belt, I think. They just, You're a lot was, older than me. Yeah. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, Shetty. Let me tell you what else. When I was your Okay, age, well, we should close on a photography note of some kind for all the people that are mad right I'm, now. I'm out of them. Do you have any photography notes? Well, I would just say that um, we, we kind of just touched on this subject today, but we have a lot more notes that maybe we can run into a show next week. Um, you know, maybe even in the future we could talk about our process from beginning to end, how we, how we go through how we shoot, what cards we use, to what programs we use online, to how we get the uh, final product to the client and, and something like that. That, would, I think, would be cool. And you know, it was in would, our notes you know today. cool. But, um, I, I agree completely, and that okay. might be fun to continue when we start getting some of our guests on. I mean, I don't want to make that yeah. all the guest does, but but uh, maybe we could do special things where they come back again, and we have a whole process show. You know? Yeah, that would be cool. Or we could just have them give a short answer. Of, you know, what's your what's your process? Yeah, but we are looking forward to having some guests on the show, getting some other photographers to talk about. Um, Everything that they love about photography, why they're in it, why they do it, what they plan on doing in the future, um, all that kind of stuff. So that'll be fun. Awesome. Cool. Well, it must be time. Did you get any beer for tonight? Yeah. I'm obsessed with this. I came back around to it. But Did I couldn't just... go to the liquor store because they weren't open, so I just had to go to the uh, convenience store. And well, you know, some... liquor stores are all – they can't be open on Sundays. So right, yeah. It's but another I still got law. some good beer. I got some Ho Garden and um, – some uh, wheat beer, a blue moon. So you got to. I thought we could just all share. You can hand me the jug, and I can give you a blue moon. Or I'll whatever. come over to your hoe garden and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm not Belgian, um, obviously. Yeah, I think I think they pronounce that like who harden or something. Yeah, like that. I well, they obviously know from my accent and my vocabulary that I'm going to pronounce everything like, wrong. That you're so. not Belgian. <laughs> I don't think he's Belgian. Uh, yeah, I sure don't think he's Belgian. <laughs> that boy didn't look Belgian. He didn't smell Belgian, and he certainly didn't feel Belgian. All right, this is. I, I, I need to eat. Okay. And then I need to get beer, and then I need to come to your place. And we don't need eat to... too much because we have a lot of food tonight. All right. Well, okay. I won't. I'm just gonna have a little chips. Some chips or some fine. chips. Yeah, I've got some on my desk. I had the mac and cheese for lunch before I called you, and then I got to finish my chips and my soda while I'm doing post on the show. Cool. Well, we're looking forward to it. Yeah, I behave much differently on this show than I do the other one. <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah. I've noticed that. Yeah, I watch the other ones. You're all very reserved, and on here, you're like yeah. talking about beer and chips and hoe gardens. Yeah, and hoe gardens. Yeah, I like it. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening once again. This has been the photography show. We'll see you next time. See ya.